Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Welcome friends, to the A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. Welcome back to this A Million Little TV Shows podcast. This is now episode 10 of season 3. Hope you're all doing well out there. At the minute in the UK, there is two storms. So we've just got off the back of one. We're in the middle of another. So if there's any wind noise, you know what that is. It's fucking awful out there. It's like the end of days. Other than that, I'm good. Literally just finished up recording yesterday. I'm back on it today. And I'm going to be focusing on modern love today i think now that i'm back from japan i'm just starting to get back into this now and thankfully with my other job i'm not going to have to go down to london this week as well so i'm going to have plenty of time to actually get some more episodes in the can get really in front of myself and hopefully finish out this season again as per usual we won't be going anywhere it'll just be me powering through into season four and that should start around about the beginning of march and will take us through till june which will then mark a year of the podcast being live so i mean it's not a bad start i've covered quite a few shows and i'm quite happy with the progress it's making so just got to keep at it right anyway today like i said it's going to be modern love i'm going to be covering season two episodes one to four so let's get into it Episode 1, On a Serpentine Road with the Top Down. This episode stars Minnie Driver as Stephanie, Tom Burke as Michael, and Don Witcherly as Neil. Stephanie is a doctor in a small village out in Ireland somewhere, and just as she heads off for the night, after her shift, she jumps into her 30-year-old car, a Triumph stack. But as she goes to start it, it just won't go. So she calls a tow truck, and this is where we realise that this car has been having a lot of problems. The guy who comes out to service it tells her that there's only two good days with a classic car, and that's the day you buy it and the day you get rid of it. He suggests that she needs to get rid of this car, but she can't part with it. She's had it 30 years. She's made a lot of memories in that car, but the mechanic tells her that you've got to run these cars all the time or showcase them. You've got to have one or the other. You can't just use it as is. When you feel like it, you've got to keep it running. Otherwise, it'll just keep breaking down on you. And she tells him that she just can't get rid of this car. It's not an option. He fixes her up and she heads home. When she gets there, her husband and daughter are waiting for her and the husband is going through the accounts. It seems like she spent over £1,200 just getting the car fixed and... It's not ideal. They seem to be scrimping and saving. And when he suggests that maybe they sell the car, she tells him that, well, maybe you could sell your boat. She's not willing to compromise on this car whatsoever. When she was actually in the car and it was up and running and she was driving with the top down and driving through country lanes, she seemed to be talking to herself, but as if she was having a conversation with someone else. So maybe the memories lie elsewhere so a few days later after another breakdown 
She decides that her husband's right. It is time to get rid of this car. It's not doing them any favours. And she has to put her family first. But when she goes home and she's sat talking to her other daughter, who is at university, the fact that she's selling the car comes up. And it turns out that the car belongs to her first daughter's father. And that her first husband died. And the daughter is devastated that the car is going to be let go. But she understands that they need to do something. They can't have the car keep breaking down on them and they have nowhere to store it. So there's no point in keeping the thing if they can't maintain it. So as upset as she is about it, she is willing to let it go. A buyer has come in already and he is happy enough to buy it from them at a round asking price as well. So Stephanie now has to deal with the fact that she has to get rid of the car. It has so many beautiful memories for her that she takes it for one last drive. And while she does, we finally see the passenger that she was speaking to earlier on in the episode. It's her ex-husband. And as she's driving along, she's remembering all the things that happened because of that car. She remembers a year after being with Michael, he bought the car. And they went driving out in it, and they generally went everywhere in it. They had some fun times together, and you see that a lot of the things that happened in her life happened around this car. This was where she got engaged. This was the car that drove her to the hospital when her daughter was being born. This is the car that they took their daughter home in from the hospital that day. This was the car that took their daughter to school, and was also the cool car that picked her daughter up. It was also the car that took them to the hospital when they found out Michael's diagnosis. It was the car that took them to the hospital every time he went and got treatment. It was the car that they picked up their final Christmas tree in, and it was the car that, when he knew it was the end for him, they drove out to some woods, and he picked the spot where they would scatter his ashes. And it was also the car that Stephanie drove home from his funeral in. It's where she feels closest to Michael and it's where she feels that she can talk to the man who meant so much to her. It wasn't a end of a relationship or a divorce due to issues in the marriage. It was a death. She lost him and it breaks her heart because she has to give up the one place where she can talk to him, where she can be with him. She feels that she can't do it at home because it makes her look a little bit crazy. She can't do it at the office because who wants a doctor who's talking to themselves? So out in the car, when she's out in the country, it's her place to be with him. And it's difficult. You absolutely put things on inanimate objects and they are your place to speak to people. Or they are your connection to people. They are your memories. It doesn't always have to end with a divorce or a bad word. When a relationship ends and that connection's gone, you put meaning on things and you feel that connection to that person when you are around that thing. And sometimes it's just nice to have those things there. So you have those lovely reminders of the people that you cared about, the people that you loved. And all you do is you wish them well and you want the best for them in their own life. And in this case... You just wish that they were still here. But Stephanie now has to get rid of the item that allows her to have these memories, to have these moments, to still have Michael in her life. So when she eventually hands it over to the new owner, he um, ignores all her comments about how the car handles and how it drives and what's the sweet spot and everything like that. 
It's not an extension of him like it is for her. So as it's driving away, she's just hoping that it breaks down. Because that's what it's always done. But it doesn't, and it drives off into the distance, and that's it. She goes in the house, and she speaks to her husband about it. And she tells him that it was the right decision for them. He has sold his boat as well, so it makes perfect sense. They can move on now. And she then explains the significance of the car to him and tells him that she did speak to Michael in that car and she was connected to him when she was in there and her husband sits her down and tells her that he knew what he was getting into when he married her and he knew that he was so lucky to have someone as loving as she was in his life and they didn't know how much this whole thing meant to her and he tells a story of how he has a mug that belonged to his mother, that she would occasionally drink peppermint tea out of. And he kept that because it is significant to her and it helps him remember her. So he gets it, he gets having that memory, having that connection to an item. The next time we see Stephanie, she is heading out to pick up her daughter from the train station. But she's back in the Triumph stack. Her husband went over, explained the situation to the current owner and bought the car back. And her daughter's surprised that the car is there, but they both know that they can still make memories in it, just like they did with her dad. Episode 2, The Night Girl Finds a Day Boy. This episode stars Genga Akanagbe as Jordan, Zoe Chow as Zoe, and Apanar Nanjala as Vanessa. While at a diner one night, Jordan is out with some friends, and as they are being quite rowdy, he apologises to a girl on the next table who he is taking quite a fancy to already. She's quiet, she's keeping herself to herself, but she does engage with Jordan when he comes over and talks to her. As she's about to leave, Jordan runs over and gives her his phone number. We then see this girl, Zoe, do the things that she usually does at night. She walks around the city. She goes into grocery stores and buys groceries and she seems to be well known within the city as someone who lives their life at night. When she gets home just before the dawn, she looks in her bag and finds the number from Jordan and she arranges to go on a date with him. The next time we see her again it's night and her and Jordan are out on this date. They're having a great time up until Jordan suggests maybe one day they go on a bike ride together. And it's here that she has to confess something to him. She has delayed sleep phase syndrome, which essentially means that her circadian rhythm is off. She describes it as if she stays awake during the day, it's like she's got jet lag. And she finds it very hard to get back into the rhythm of being out in the daytime. She's a night person, to which Jordan says jokingly that she's a vampire, but he happens to like vampires. So they see each other again, and each time they do, Zoe shows Jordan more of the nightlife within New York City and how it differs from the day. She tells him that she doesn't have to see banker bros or yoga moms. It's all about the night people and how the city is totally different. It's still a bustling city, but it's not as busy. She tells him that the night people are easier to deal with. She shows him more places around the city, including how well known she is within her area. And he feels like he has fallen in love with her. But of course, just like Zoe, she works during the night while Jordan works during the day. He's a teacher. 
And so after a long night of being around Zoe, he has to go into work. But of course, as anyone knows, if you've been up talking with someone who you care about or if you've been out partying, getting up that next morning isn't the easiest thing. And certainly not if you haven't slept. But it seems like Jordan is doing everything he can to try and make this thing work. So things seem to be going great between Jordan and Zoe, but the issue always ends up being that one is giving more than the other. Jordan, in this case, is trying his hardest to be there at night for her, but it seems that any time that Zoe has any engagement during the day, she just ends up never making it on time. But if she wants to go and see Jordan, Jordan's always too tired to now see her. For instance, one day he's trying to arrange going to the park with his friends and they're all going to go and have a picnic and have a fun day out in the sun. But Zoe turns up within an hour of maybe the sun going down and Jordan just starts to feel like it's not good enough. He's giving and she's taking and it's just not working. And the straw that breaks the camel's back is when he tells her that his mom's coming into town but she has to leave early so he's going to go and have brunch with her. So it's going to be like a mid-afternoon thing. And Zoe says, yep, I'll be there. I'll absolutely be there. But the inevitable happens and she doesn't turn up. So he calls and he calls and she doesn't answer. But eventually when she does, she wakes up and tells him that she's sorry and she's on her way. And he tells her, don't bother. We're almost done here. So there's no point in you coming down. But she does, she runs down and she comes over and she sees his mother and she talks to her for a minute and you can just see how annoyed Jordan is at all of this. And when he tells her it's fine, she can tell that it's not fine. And she apologises again and tells him that she was up front from the start and that he knew what this was. But for Jordan it doesn't matter, he has started to think about the future. Or in this case he's stopped thinking about the future. He doesn't know what a future with her would be like. What kind of wedding are they going to have? Would it have to be a midnight wedding just to accommodate Zoe's condition? What about when they have kids? Is she going to be able to stay awake long enough to look after them once he's gone back to work? Zoe's shocked that he thinks about these things and she seems happy by it. But he says he won't allow himself to. It's not fair to think of a future with her when it may never happen. He tells her that he needs time. And just when he's hoping that she'll say, no, don't stay, we'll talk about this. She says, okay. And he's disappointed with the fact that she's picked the wrong answer. And he walks away, leaving Zoe crestfallen. Zoe and Jordan go back to their normal lives. Jordan is the day boy and Zoe is the night girl. Zoe tries to just get on with things she knows that there is a difficult situation for someone to have to take on if she's with them and although she misses Jordan she knows it's not ideal she speaks to her friend Vanessa and tries to get her to go for dinner with her after her shift which is at a nightclub but Vanessa tells her that she's got a procedure that she needs to have and that she's not going to be able to make it so instead of doing what she usually does and going back home she stays by Vanessa's side. She goes to the doctors with her and even falls asleep in the waiting room. Jordan, however, has started dating again. He's been back to the cafe where he first met Zoe and he misses her. So he starts going on dates, but the people that he's dating just, they aren't her. They're way too different. 
from what he wants and what he actually needs. And so he texts Zoe just to see what she's doing and whether she wants to meet up. And when he does, he sends a little vampire emoji, which she also replies with. She goes to the address that he gives her. And when she gets there, she finds his empty apartment. And as soon as Jordan comes around the corner, she asks, are you going to kill me? And he says, no, this apartment has become available. I know the guy who's renting it. And he talks about how maybe that because the living room has sunlight at all times during the day, but has an incredible spot for moonlight at night, that maybe she could do her writing in the corner and they could have a really nice living area in this space. And they've got a separate bedroom, so they wouldn't have to be in each other's way all the time. And Zoe realizes that he's asking her to move in. And he tells her that it doesn't matter about their differences. He just wants to be in the space that she occupies. He just wants to be near her. And he's willing to compromise by having time without her, just to know that he can have that time with her. So in the time between when they're both awake, they'll spend it together. It doesn't matter. All he wants is her and all he wants is this chance to try and Zoe realizes that that is exactly what she wants as well and so the night girl finds her day boy episode three strangers on a dublin train this episode stars lucy boynton as paula kit harrington as michael jack rayner as declan and miranda richardson as jane paula is sat on a train and she is on her way to dublin from galway as she sits and she waits for the train to set off. Obviously, as we all know, on a busy train, people are coming back and forth. I'm sure most of us will have been in that situation where you are sat and you just don't want to be bothered and you just want to have a nice, quiet journey. And as people walk past, you're thinking, please, no, I've just... Don't sit there. Please don't sit there. But as she does, she's sat and she's making up little stories about all these people in her head. For instance, one potentially as a serial killer and just another as a crazy cat lady or a hippie or at one point she calls someone a Irish Greta Thunberg. But then Michael boards the train, walks towards her and looks at either side of the aisle and he looks at where Paula's sat and, and he looks to his right where what Paula describes as the Angelina Jolie girl is sat. Michael sits in that seat across from the Angelina Jolie lookalike, and Paula is disappointed. Obviously, we all know Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones, pretty handsome guy, so he's now sat on the opposite side to her. As the train chugs along, Paula continues to read her book, right up until Angelina Jolie gets off. And then she thinks, I'm back in the game. At this point, Michael strikes up a conversation with her and they start to chat about going home. And it seems at this point that it's all the madness due to the fact that colleges are closing down. It seems to be mid-March, early April of 2020, which as we know from the world we lived in, that was the beginning of COVID. Or at least it was in and around Europe. Obviously, it kicked off in Wuhan, in 2019 but they get to talking and as they do michael tells her that he is getting a bit of a crick in his neck sat at the angle that he's at because because they're in the same row so she thinks that he just wants to get back to his book but he stands up and he comes and sits opposite her and then they sit and talk for a while she asks the question of 
why he sat across the aisle from her instead of sitting across the table from her. He tells her that he has an issue with not facing the direction that he's going. And she says, well, you're not facing it now. But yeah, it distracts from my anxiety when I'm speaking to someone. And then she realizes how uncomfortable he is and offers her seat. They switch seats and they continue to talk. As they do, they get talking about family and even other people on the train. And it's here we see that she mentions about the serial killer. And Michael leans in and tells her he's not the serial killer. I know that because actually I'm the serial killer. And this isn't a romantic story. And it's at this point she realises with a quick smile on his face that he's joking. And they laugh it off and they continue on their journey into Dublin. But you can see already that there is a spark between them. So it seems that as they leave the train they're heading in opposite directions. One is heading to the north of Dublin, the other to the south. But due to the connection that they've both felt, it feels like it's destined for them to be together. And so Michael, instead of taking Paula's number, he decides to do a romantic gesture and tell her that once this shit's all over, the whole thing with COVID in two weeks' time, we'll meet back here for the train back to Galway. Paula agrees and they head their separate ways with a tap of the elbow and they walk away. Paula heads to her mother's and Michael heads to his brother Declan's. Paula's mum Jane thinks that it's a beautiful story and it's so romantic that they haven't exchanged numbers or any other details other than their first names and that the fact that they're both going back to Galway on the 28th will be special for them and they can really start to strike up this relationship. Declan, however, thinks his brother's a moron. He should have got her number and they should be texting all the time and he thinks that she's just going to forget about him over the next two weeks. He's not going to be there to remind her of him whereas he knows his brother and his brother will obsess over this girl and when it doesn't work out he's going to be devastated as they both get settled into the houses that they're going to be occupying for the next couple of weeks or so they think they both head up to bed michael realizes what an idiot he's been and wants to text paula but obviously he doesn't have a number so he takes out his phone and just writes a little note within it that just says i'm thinking of you night And at the same time, Paula is laid in her bed and she records a voice note that says, Hello, my mystery man on the train. I'm thinking of you. Good night. And then she calls herself an idiot. And, you know, there's times that you do that. You feel that connection with someone and it just feels right. It feels special. It feels fun. And you've only spoken for X amount of hours or you've just started texting and it's that first flutter that you start to feel like this is right, this is something real, this is going to be such fun, and this could really lead somewhere good. This person is a good person. And you sit there and you are excited for their message back, or you are excited to be in their presence. And, you know, I grew up in, I'm going to sound like such an old man now, but I, I am an old man for a start, but I grew up in an age where, you know, this kind of technology was all new phones and stuff it was all new texting someone talking to someone it was so drawn out you couldn't see if anyone had seen the message that you'd sent them let alone find a half decent connection to get back to them without being sat at a laptop or at a desktop so now when they have no real connection between them 
because they haven't exchanged numbers or any other details, so they don't even know each other's social medias. It's archaic. But of course, they've both got that hope of, well, we're going to see each other in two weeks anyway. So it doesn't matter. We will see each other soon. But of course, as the audience, you go in, you should have fucking took her number because we know <laughs> how difficult not only the next two weeks is going to be, but the news is just going to get worse and worse. But as everyone during lockdown did, it seems that both Michael and Paula have started to find activities to keep their minds occupied. So as the 28th comes, as we know, everything is going to still be locked down. And so Michael is ever the optimist and wants to go to the train station. He doesn't give a shit about any of the lockdown rules. He needs to see this girl. He needs to make sure that everything that they said was real and everything that he's been feeling has been real. His brother, however, thinks that he's an idiot and thinks that she's not going to show. So there's no point in you going. But Michael's determined. And he eventually convinces his brother to loan him his bike so that he can go for a ride down to the train station. Paula, on the other hand, is in the opposite situation. She doesn't see what a guy like him can see in a girl like her. And she just feels like it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. He's probably forgot all about her by now. It's fantasy. But her mother is the total opposite to what Declan was. She's saying, yeah, go for it. If you don't go there, you won't know. So it would make sense just to give it a try. It's not going to hurt anything. And so eventually she decides to take a ride too. So they're both riding in the same direction. And obviously you're thinking, this is it. This is the moment. Until, of course, the Garda is out in force. The police are on the streets. Everywhere should be locked down. And if you aren't, you should be on your way home. In Ireland at this point, it seems that there is a two kilometre from your house rule in place. You aren't allowed to go out of a two kilometre zone limit from your house. So Michael at this point is nearly six kilometres away from his house. And so when he gets caught with the police and they ask him where he's been staying, they realise that he's miles away. He shouldn't be anywhere near where he is right now. And they send him home. Paula, however, saw the police out on the streets and just decided that it wasn't going to be worth it. He wasn't going to be there, so what's the point? And she goes home. Michael's determined not to give up, and he goes and he sits on the stairs just outside a building, and he's thinking back to the conversation that they had on the train. Prior to this, Paula had taken a phone call from a delivery company, and she told them that, oh, she wasn't going to be at her Galway address, and that she actually meant to check her Dublin address, which is... Oxman Town Road and it's here that he realizes that all hope isn't lost he has an address he has a street name and so he borrows his brother's car and heads to Oxman Town Road and parks on the end of it and begins to stake out the road it could be some time everyone's locked down but he's happy to wait episode four a life plan for two followed by one this episode stars this episode stars Dominique Fishback as Lil, and Isaac Cole Powell as Vince. We meet a 12-year-old Lil as she is moving from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Brooklyn, New York, with her family. She's obviously going to be starting a new school, and she's going to be making new friends. I'm not sure where in the school system a 12-year-old would be. We have a very different schooling system over here, but I want to say probably middle school or just going into high school. 
on her first day within the school, she meets two jokers. A little bit loudmouth, but no harm to them. They're just wanting to have fun. They don't mean any offence. They're just being boys. They talk to Lil. She's on her own at dinner. And eventually, after she verbally hands them their asses, over walks Vince, who is the who is head of the student council for their year. And instantly, and instantly she feels a rapport with him. And it's her telling her story. So she tells the audience that as the instant moment she fell in love with Vince. From then on, they were thick as thieves. They were super cute together. You know, it's that young budding relationship, that first love where everything feels special and everything is young and fresh and new and you're finding your sexuality for the first time, you're finding your heart for the first time. Lil never actually confesses how she feels about Vince. She just takes it as if he is reciprocating until one night when they're on the phone and he gets another phone call coming through and he has to put Lil on hold. But when he comes back, he's excited because the popular girl in school has told another girl that she likes Vince. So instantly he is ecstatic. But at the same time, he's talking to Lil and she and she hears the excitement in his voice and instead of speaking up for herself, she just accepts her fate. She's in the friend zone and she tells him, look, if that's what you want, go for it. She supports him. We cut to several years later and they're now in their final year. It seems that Vince is going off to Harvard and Lil wants to be a comedian. Vince comes over and asks her if she's going to prom. Tells him no, she doesn't want to do all of that. It's not her scene. It's not what she wants to do. It's not what she's into. She doesn't dance. Vince is definitely a people pleaser. He's someone that is magnetic. Someone that people gravitate towards. And as soon as he starts to show Lil a little bit of attention, she laps it up. She wants more. And he convinced her that prom would be a good idea. And so because of him, she wants to go. But then the two friends who teased Lil at first turn up and they tell Vince, we can't believe what you did, man. Like, he ended up hooking up with this other girl who had a boyfriend and now they've split up. So Vince seems to be a bit of a player But of course this affects Lil, she has to get away from the situation. She can see how happy Vince is about all of this, but she just doesn't want to be a part of it. Now she goes off and she takes some time away just to try and clear her head, but Vince follows her. And they start playing basketball together and they're just hanging out. And once again, Lil starts to feel special, like there's no one else in the world. But Vince starts talking about how she's never going to lose her virginity if she just waits around for that special someone. But obviously the audience knows that special someone she wants is Vince. Vince asks her about why she never talks about people that she fancies, and she claims that she doesn't fancy anyone. And he tells her that he knows she's lying, but why do we never talk about it? And she just eventually gets him to drop it. Lil and Vince are constantly getting closer together. And it just seems like you feel it in your bones that something is going to happen between the two of them. And you can see how much it would mean to Lil. After graduation from high school, they're getting ready to head off to whatever's next. Vince is apparently going to Harvard, as we've said. So Vince tells Lil to meet him in their spot. And they go up and they're looking out over New York and they are having a meal. Lil is in a nice dress and it's as if they're having prom together. 
they end up having a little dance and as they do they get close again and they're about to kiss but those two idiot boys turn up and they drag Vince away before Lil can finally get what she's wanted they all go out that night for the after party of the prom and then they all head off to universities two years on and we see that Lil is finally getting some action she's laid on her bed and she's obviously having a good time of it and then a face emerges from under the covers and it's not Vince. Eventually we see that text messages have been flying through from Vince while she's been having her fun and the guy who's with her realises that she needs to decide what she wants. Vince is texting and he's just adamant that she come over and see him and they hang out and they haven't seen each other for so long and blah 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 blah. Once you've got that person in your life who is that in control of you that you don't know what else to do, you want to drop everything for them. It's frustrating when you start to come back to reality of they wanted you there because no one else was. But in this case, Lil decides that she's going to go over. She goes over to his accommodations at Harvard. And when she gets there, we instantly see a regret on her face. Because the door opens and a girl walks out. And we think, oh, fucking hell, Lil. You've done this again. But no, she wasn't with Vince. She was with his roommate. And his roommate leaves afterwards. She comes in, she sees Vince, and they start getting close again. They hug and they are getting ready to lean in to kiss. And then you're thinking that something's going to happen, but it doesn't. Lil suggests that maybe they take five minutes and Vince is a little taken back and asks if she's ever done it. And she says no. So now he has the opportunity to take his best friend's virginity. And of course, being the player that he is, he does just that. The next morning, Lil wakes up and Vince is awake way before her. He's gone out, he's got a peppermint tea and he has just sat at his desk being really cold towards her. She gets up and she's saying things like, look, you know, it was my first time. It was sorry it wasn't great. I'm sorry it wasn't Nicki Minaj or whatever. But he's still just not engaging with her. He's being really cold to someone that he claims to care about. She asks what the hell's going on. And he starts to tell her that maybe last night wasn't such a good idea. I made a mistake. And of course, she's shattered by it. He tells her, look, I know how you felt about me for so long. It's not what I want. I just want us to be friends. It's not fair on you to be doing that. We shouldn't have done it. Didn't stop him, but it shouldn't have happened. But Lil is just crestful. She heads out of there and she heads back to her own college. Once she gets there, she's having her depressive nights. And as we all have after someone special has left your life, you just feel down. You don't want to be seeing anyone. You don't want to be doing anything. You just want to be sat, wallowing. (laughs) But she's doing what she wanted to do. She's getting inspired. She's watching these incredible black comedians doing their thing on stage, and she wants to be exactly like them. And then one night, she's just out walking in and around the neighborhood, and she sees a comedy club. And so she goes in, and she puts her name down, and she stands on stage, and thinks fuck it she manages to pull off a quick five minute set and the crowd seem to enjoy it and they seem to love her she comes off and she's dancing the street she's happy as all fuck she is feeling that she's got potential for this 
once again, we cut another two years, and now Lilla is selling out comedy clubs. She's on stage, she's doing her thing, she's killing it. Everyone's laughing, she's got the right attitude for this kind of thing. And she's even doing audience interaction, and she's really nailing it. She looks towards the back of the comedy club and sees Vince out there. At the end of the show, Vince comes over and he's talking to her and he's saying how great she was, how funny she is, and how much he's missed just hanging out with her and that maybe they could just go somewhere and just hang out. Lil's sister is stood right next to her and she is giving Vince the side eye. She knows what's going on between them and she is not happy with Vince at all. But Lil tells him, yeah, look, we can go, we can hang out. And they go back to their spot and they sit and they eat and they laugh and they talk about old times and they talk about what the future entails. And then we hear Lil's voice come over and she says that she always intended to spend the rest of her life with Vince. And she supposes that she has kind of done that. So yeah, very much like season one, this has some incredible stories to tell. And not only does it have incredible stories, it has stories from all over, unlike the first season, which was all New York-based. This has obviously had stories from elsewhere, and it's always nice to see stories set in England. I do wish that they'd do a modern love England, because there's quite a lot of stories to tell here, and there's some beautiful places that they could actually shoot in as well. It would be good to see that at some point. I know that they've done it elsewhere. I've I've seen recently there's one for Japan and there's one for the Netherlands and there's several set in and around India, which I may end up covering at some point. You know, I can you know, I can get hold of the videos, it's just it's just making sure I can get hold of the translations that's gonna be the issue. But I think love tends to be universal, so even though you may not understand everything that is coming out of the mouths you can tell by the body language what's going on. So maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't, but I'll definitely have a good watch. But yeah, so, you know, I I like this series. It's very uplifting. It makes my heart happy. It's, as I'm recording this, I'm talking to a, a friend of mine who I care about very much. And she's someone that I did wrong by at one point, but she's let me back into her life and it means a lot to me because much like in the last story you probably didn't deserve a second chance but it's always nice to have that connection and have it rebuilt she knows i care a lot about her and it's just good to have good people in your life um i hope she listens to this because because she'll know who i'm talking about and she'll probably either a get very embarrassed or b send me a text saying stop fucking talking about me but i didn't name her that's the important point. But she knows who she is. But yeah, so it's been a lot of fun watching this show and the different stories. I think my favourite has to be um, the night girl and the day boy. They end up having to be two polar opposites but need to work together to make things work. I like the fact that they brought a story in about COVID where people didn't know the future, didn't know what was going to happen but had the optimism to say, in two weeks, I'll meet you here. It just shows that just on initial meetings, it, it can be powerful, that pull towards someone. There's not a lot of feelings like it. 
But yeah, so I definitely enjoyed the series. I can't remember what happens in the second half, um, but I know I remember watching it and thinking it was great. So I'm obviously going to cover that. I, I do hope they get their asses in gear and put out another series because it's sweet. It's good TV. It's not too offensive. It's not too violent. It's just a nice chilled out 35 minutes watch. It's got a nice message behind it. And in the fucking world we live in right now, it's kind of, it's refreshing to watch (laughs) something where people actually give a shit about each other and they care and they try and do the best for everyone around them. But anyway, that's me done for rambling today. As you know, we've got Hannibal coming up for two more episodes and we've also got one last episode of Modern Love before it goes away. Um... And like I say, I've got access to the ones in India and the ones in both Netherlands and Japan. So I could do them. Um, I do like doing them. And if I get to a point where the series that I'm watching are a bit too dark, I probably will go to them. Um, I've got quite a lot of European series coming up as well. Um, Some Japanese, some Korean. So... There's going to be a good mix. It's not just going to be American and English shows. I've got some from France. I've got some from Ireland. I've got some from Australia, New Zealand, you know, all apart from France, English-speaking countries. I've got some stuff from Germany. I've got some stuff from, like I said, France. I've got some stuff from Spain. So it's a big mix of international languages. So... I'm certainly going to be challenging my own language experience because I ain't that good at it. But hopefully, you know, subtitles make things easier and I'll pick it up as I go along. But anyway, that's me done for today. That is me finished with the ramble. I am apologizing firstly for the last episode. That was really long. This one's going pretty long, but hopefully it won't be too bad. But thank you for listening and I hope to speak to you soon. Bye. Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.